Clearshore presents Technology, Innovation, and Modern War, Class 2, by Steve Blank, September 29th, 2020, at steveblank.com. We just held our second class for our new national security class, Technology, Innovation, and Modern War. Given the tech-centricity of Stanford and Silicon Valley, Joe Felter, Raj Shah, and I designed a class to examine the new military systems, operational concepts, and doctrines that emerge with 21st century technologies, space, cyber, AI, and machine learning, and autonomy. Our guest speaker this session was Max Boot, author of War Made New. Some of the pre-class reading included watching The Secret History of Silicon Valley and reading selected chapters of Max Boot's book, War Made New. The second lecture was a discussion of how new technology turns into new weapons and new doctrine. Simply stated, this cycle is a repeatable pattern that has been occurring for hundreds if not thousands of years. Our proposition to the class is that once the pattern is understood, we can manage it and hopefully accelerate it. As an example of the technology to weapons cycle, we use the evolution of farm tractors with treads to tanks. Late in the 19th century, manufacturers of farm equipment put treads on tractors to navigate muddy fields. Once this technology innovation occurred, the British, French, and Germans envisioned a military use for it in World War I. Tanks would be used to defeat the machine gun and to penetrate layered trench defenses so infantry and cavalry could advance. The British were the first to use tanks on the battlefield in mass attacks. However, the early versions of tanks performed poorly at the Battle of fleurs Corselet in 1916 and Cambrai in 1917. In hindsight, they failed because 1. The technology was at the beginning of its S-curve. Immature technology and features, buggy, prone to breakdown, etc. And 2. There was no prior learning of how to coordinate the use of tanks on the battlefield. They lacked a doctrine. In years that followed, incumbents in the U.S. Army, both internal, existing leadership, and external, existing contractors, used these early World War I failures as rationale to keep the status quo, in this case, horses and cavalry. Over the next 20 years, tank technology matured, and it was the Germans who fielded the Panzer III, each with radios, as part of a combined arms doctrine that integrated tanks with infantry, artillery, and air support. The result was that in May 1940, five panzer divisions crossed through the Ardennes and France fell to the Germans. After another half a century of refinement in tank warfare and doctrine, U.S. tanks would overwhelm the Soviet-equipped Iraqi army at the Battle of 73 Easting. As the history of the tank shows, often the ones who best exploit new technologies aren't the inventor or the first user of the new class of weapon, which in this case was Britain in World War I. Rather, it was the German army that honed the operational concepts, Blitzkrieg, combined arms, and added complementary tools such as radios in tanks, tactical air support. We could have illustrated the same disruptive technology to weapon cycle by describing the introduction of the longbow, gunpowder, the airplane, or even the use of rocks versus clubs. In all cases, this technology-to-weapons-to-doctrine cycle is the same. One might think that after going through this cycle once, it would be easy to continuously adopt new technologies and weapons. But the painful lessons from nations that lost wars 
teach us that technology and weapons leadership is ephemeral. It's inevitable that the cutting-edge systems that leading nations build ultimately become legacy systems. They're superseded by other nations that move more quickly through this adoption cycle. Services, agencies, and careers are built around acquiring, operating, supporting, and fighting with legacy systems. And this hinders adoption of the next innovation cycle, when it's time to adopt the next wave of disruption. The institutional inertia is as much a social problem as it is a technical one. General flag officers achieve their rank because of their ability to lead people and manage known processes. Unconsciously, most are most comfortable with technology and doctrine they learned in their 20s. When visionaries start promoting what at first looks like a technological toy, leadership perceives them as bringing disorder to a well-ordered system. As a result, institutional inertia, social, budget, capacities, careers, contractors, at all, hinders the adoption of next-generation disruptive technology and weapons and allows adversaries to leapfrog the leaders. This is an age-old story. Unfortunately, it's now a story about us. Today, the U.S. Department of Defense faces a proverbial Gordian knot. There's not just one or two disruptive technologies potentially changing warfare, but at least ten. Cyber, AI, machine learning, autonomy, space, hypersonics, biotech, semiconductors, directed energy, and quantum. And unlike the last century, most of these innovations are no longer driven by military weapons labs that have a lock on the technology, but are coming from commercial companies. Compounding this problem of multiple new technologies is today's reality that the DoD is facing multiple adversaries. The Department of Defense has to decide which of these technologies and new weapons will be most important across these five. China, Russia, North Korea, Iran, and non-nation states. For example, weapons and doctrine needed to continue to project power in the South China Sea will be different than those needed to protect the Baltic states or counter a regional threat in the Mideast. And we need to do all of this with a finite defense budget, most of which is being spent on legacy systems in 88 major defense acquisition programs. Trying to kill one of these to free up money for new weapons development is a major political problem. We closed the lecture by observing that the DoD may be best served if it developed an innovation doctrine to guide its leadership through these decisions. The question we left for the students was, what else might we do? Lessons learned. The cycle of disruptive technology into weapons is a repeatable and predictable pattern. Technology innovation to visionaries to early prototypes to inertia from status quo, to early adoption, to new operational concepts and doctrine, to offset strategy and win the war. Institutional inertia is a social problem. Most people are comfortable with certainty. Our current requirements and acquisition system, a planning programming budget system, is built on assuming certainty. At its core is a 1960s belief that quantitative analysis and cost accounting can reduce uncertainty and make choices of weapon system predictable 10, 20 years in the future. The focus on outputs and optimization worked when technologies, threats, and adversaries were known. It fails when facing unknowns. Today's threats need an agile system 
that can build incrementally and iteratively and deliver with speed and urgency. Today, 10 major disruptive technologies have emerged. Each will create new weapons and doctrine. Most are coming from private companies and are widely available. Each of our 2 plus 3 adversaries will require a different mix of weapons and doctrine. Prioritizing these new technologies and weapons is challenging. Our defense budget is limited, yet it has 88 major defense acquisition programs, most of them legacy systems, and killing any of them will likely require a coordinated Justice Department and DOD effort. The DOD needs an innovation doctrine to guide the integration of disruptive tech into weapon systems, operational concepts, doctrine, new organizational designs, and an agile acquisition system. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. We would like to hear from you, so please send your thoughts to comments at clearshore.us or visit us at clearshore.us. If you would like this show delivered to you automatically, you can subscribe to the Clearshore Podcasts on iTunes. Wishing you all the best until next time.